Welcome to Times Before Can Be Forgotten. I'm Matthew Connery. I'm Jeremy Sitnik. Corey Thistlewood. And uh, this episode, we, uh, it's, we're recording live in Byfield. This is our, our fourth one, and we are gathered uh, on the late afternoon of January 31st. Uh, the three of us lost a good friend 29 years ago, and we're here to remember him because he was a strong enough presence in not just the three of our lives, but in so many lives that uh, that we had we had to get together. We had to do it. We've been recording these things on weekends, but we all made an effort to figure out getting out of work uh, and, and making it here to Byfield. Uh, Jeremy, how about exactly where are we for our, our home viewers? We're kind of in the middle of... Triton, Corsabrook Drive, uh, kind of in the heart of Byfield. We'll give you the exact location, but we're triangulated pretty well. We are. Uh, and uh, for, for those of you that may know, Joe grew up on Corsabrook Drive, and uh, it's been a long time since I've been to that house. Yeah. And uh, that was one of the cooler houses to go to. Oh, definitely. Uh, I, I was thinking about that earlier today, that really... Joe's house and Walker's house. Those were for sure. Those were the top two that you could go. I think They're it both might. Had pool tables. Uh, yes, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. The, the prevalence of pool tables, like you, you know, before the uh, before the internet, kids, you, you had to find a, a place to go play pool. That was uh, you had a pool table too. Once upon a time. Once upon a once time. Once upon a time. Uh, six year old, seven year old, what nine year old? I don't know. Jeremy and I. It was fine. Matchbox. Oh, yeah. yeah that works well on the I'm felt. Sure, I'm sure Larry loved that. Larry loved that. All of a sudden, we played with our matchboxes, and uh, that was the end of the pool table. <laughs> fucking gone from Boston Road. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, you still have an outstanding invoice, I believe, for uh, for damages rendered. <laughs> um, you know, there are two things that we really wanted to focus on, uh, and, and I think that over 29 years... Uh, we've probably all had maybe a complicated relationship to losing someone that was so important to us, but we, we really wanted to be focused on what we, uh, what we talked about today, and that is remembering things that Joe loved and where I want to go now, and I'll, I'll throw it back to you again, Jeremy, and then to you, Corey, because the other thing I wanted to talk about was the different relationship that we all had with him, and I think that that is a testament to who he was that he he fit in anywhere he was loved by kind of everyone yep. and he was good at a lot of different things and I think of, uh, of my relationship with him and, and I think yours is completely different you guys were so tight tell me about the Joe that you knew well, he showed up, I think, in fifth grade. Is that either, right? It's either fifth or sixth. And it's got to be fifth. I, okay. Yeah, I think it was fifth. Mr. Cosmos's class? Was that his homeroom? Uh, yeah, I don't even know, because yeah. I don't think we were in the same homeroom. We were. Uh, definitely not Mrs. Andriozzi. Yeah. Uh, and I used to play the drums back in elementary school, That's and right. he showed up, and Jeremy wasn't playing the drums anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, we were just, you know, close friends like me, him, uh, Brian Babcock, mm. you know, throwing it back. Like, the, I mean, he was a byfield kid, hung around with John Ryan and yeah. all those guys. They played hockey. We used to come down and skate on Moody Street and yep. stuff. Um, and then, <clears throat> you know, through high school, uh, I mean, I'd even go on vacations with the Ligoris. Mm. I went down to the cape to his grandparents house which was pretty awesome yeah took my uh, i won't even get into it uh, 
Some um, things can be forgotten here on Titans yeah. before it can be forgotten. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, just tennis. He was a good tennis player. I didn't know that. He loved, like, Andre Agassi and stuff. Like, that was just, like, the, the seventh, eighth grade. You know, remember Mr. Griffin had all that? Sure. I mean, Joe was a big tennis fan. I went to see, uh, we went to Longwood Cricket Club. I believe that's in Chestnut Hill or Brookline. It's over near BC. Not B. Yeah, near BC. BC, yeah. Uh, he and I went over there to watch a Legends of Tennis match once, and it was Malavai, Washington against John McEnroe. Wow. Yeah, pretty pretty cool. It's the only tennis match I've ever been to in my life. Went with him. Uh, don't exactly remember how we get in there. See, this doesn't surprise me. I had no idea that you had done that. I don't remember Joe being into tennis at all, but this is exactly what was in mind when I'm thinking, let's talk about the Joe that we knew, just assuming that it was going to be different than the Joe that the other of us knew. Yeah. So, again... And then music again, like, when we were younger. uh, Well, I mean, he and Jay and... Yeah. And uh, Chris McGee and Adrian Sesto. Brian Cavicchio. Yeah. Adrian Sesto before Brian. Yep. Uh, I mean, they had a great band, so, I mean, those guys were into hair, band, yeah. huge, huge time. Yeah. Like, so actually, it's been funny because all week I've been listening to rock power ballads on Spotify. Okay. Nice. Um, a lot of Skid Row. Yep. A little bit of Bon Jovi. Yep. Uh, you know, just kind of throwing it back. Yep. It's uh, I do that every now and then. Just it, it's kind of the old school uh, Joe music yeah. for me. Yeah, and you can hear him singing in some of them. You really can for sure. Corey, you a couple of nights ago we were texting back and forth, and uh, you know, I was going to school with Joe by day, and you were you told me a, a story very quickly about hanging out with him. Just the night before. Well, Jeremy and I. Yeah. yeah. We were. It was. It was the night before. Very close to the night before, because everything was such a blur at that time. It was. Uh, the, and that would be my relationship with Joe. Would be watching the evolution of Joe throughout. You know, junior high into high school, and the legend of Joe being built, and never having this history with him as a as a kid like you guys did. I got to meet Joe at the same time I met everybody else and become friends with him and hang out with him and then you know Jeremy and I have always been really tight and so there you know I would always hear about the legend of Joe and all the things he'd done and all the things you know the fun stuff they had done growing up but as I text you is there these stories and stuff there's usually I a video attached to a lot of my messages yeah. with a song. Yeah. I often send music along and that is kind of like where my what I remember most about Joe was the music. Yeah. And I've I'm obsessed with the best musicians I've ever seen. And when you get to see that level of talent in real life and then hang out with them and be cool it it kind of I don't know it transcended that whole like legend thing yeah and uh you know that's that's you know really it i got to know him more after high school you know in those just that summer where we just kind of hung out at night more than i even knew him inside and that and that's the i again i defer to you guys on this one because you know he's 
meant a lot. And, the, you know, everything that we went through together, you know, it, it kind of melds it all into one giant piece for me. It's, it's, it's different than what you guys have, and I can tell. It's weird to think that we've been remembering him for longer than we knew him. Yeah, oh. by a lot. Long time. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, that's, again, that's, the years are going by. Yeah. Well, and to your point, Sitnik, about how long we've been remembering him, I think it's a testament to who he was that that's the way that it is. I mean, it's, we talked on our last pod when we were remembering another friend of how much January is the son of a bitch. Yeah. And uh, losing him is what cemented it to be what it is. But just the power of, like, I almost think that this was one of the biggest days of the year in some regards. Not in a good way, but it also, like, it was, it's almost a, a North Star for all, everyone that remembers him because that hasn't lessened over time. Yeah. You know, you can see it on social media as much as I tend not to participate in most of it. Like, there's just this Come resurgence. Out of the woodwork. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's and, crazy. And it's, that just hasn't gone away. And I, you know, you think of other people that you've lost along the way, certainly not our friend that we talked about last time in our third episode of this, but other people that, you know, you, you do forget. And I think that there's a lot of meaning behind the three of us getting together and, uh, and remembering Joe. I wanted to, uh, to share something. I, I, I feel like I write something different every year about Joe this time of year. And I think the writing piece, maybe even a big part of why I do it as much as I did was kind of early processing 29 years ago. And, uh, I want to read what I wrote a couple days ago, sent it to you guys. And, uh, after finishing this, want to resume, give you guys a moment to think about the best time that you ever had with him. Cause again, really wanting to remember what was specific to our relationship with him. And then we'll get into some of the things that Joe loved because he was, uh, he carried his passions pretty high. And I think that was a big part of what made him so confident and so beloved. Yeah. But this is, uh, this is verse 445 and, uh, is my, my annual Testament to Joe. Some days there's nothing for it but to stick your face in the speaker, vibrations undulating the inches between the thundering black matrix of music and struck skin above your lips. It's the speaker's tremulous breeze shouting down all your pestilential impertinence. Old truth transfuses itself in a maxillofacial mainline of music into your brain. Broken hells, bygone damage, neglected glories, and most of all, love rises in the blood like lovely drugs. Music slaps you repeatedly on the cheek like an approving mob boss telling you, you done good. I pick the speaker up and place it against the back of my head, closing my eyes. I self-medicate with it. I'm put together wrong. Everything's out of place. That's January. The deeper it is in the month, the worse it is. I am misassembled. Everything's all slung wrong. Where are you, Joe? I like that you're all analog, existing in mixtapes, study hall notes, old clothes and photographs with the month and year imprinted in the bottom right-hand corner or illuminated in lively orange alarm clock font. You're in old VHS cassettes, yearbook quotes, and the single bass note at the 227 mark of Blind Melon's No Rain. You haunt our high school auditorium. Did you know that? Of all the things that never crossed my mind in our days together at Triton, I never imagined you'd be a ghost there someday. You know where you aren't, though? The internet. 
That's fucking strong. I can find your ghost behind the crushed velvet stage curtains of our high school, but not on the worldwide superweb. Oh, there are 15 or 20 hits, but they're all referencing your scholarship. The rest of you is in fabric, paper, music notes, memory, and whatever mischief you're up to in the Triton Auditorium. Basement bedroom sudden jam transforms a 1995 prosaic afternoon by disconnecting the senses. Rock was the first drug. In the four-walled crush of your basement, Jay rips at his strings, and you're lost in your kit, disembodying me in the process. My body glazes over and goes out of focus, just as my eyes do, staring at the splatter print of your framed Magic Eye 90s art. The hidden 3D object within is a Golian net. Rock and roll was the first freedom from the self, containing every other subsequent escape of our lifetimes. The vacuum of silence when see you around is over is an appalling reality. We name it a lifelong nemesis outdoors over a shared camel under your porch. Back inside, you play your new Weezer CD, which has been in my desk drawer for 29 Januarys because I borrowed it from you that afternoon. I lament you never had late 90s end-of-college girlfriends. Boone's Farm, Annie DeFranco, Tori Amos, Angry Chick Music, Candlelit and Incense-Drenched Sex After Dinner at Ruby Fucking Tuesday. Anyway, I've played three decades of checkers with the universe, or myself more likely, to rub some non-existent genie lamp and animate you into the present. Your energy in an unremembered memory, a spark of vivid flashback, a belly laugh at an old joke. It's all as episodic as any old mixtape, searching for you in new ways. Sometimes in movies a montage rises in crescendo against a dislocated protagonist, lost in busted wonder and splinted spirit in Tokyo, Mumbai, or Barcelona. The crush of themselves has driven them there, and as the music rises and the camera catches hopeful scope and span, they break a broken smile and discover themselves comfortably at peace in their lostness, finally. I have lived the last 900 January days in such a fashion, ensnared between submergence and emergence. The song Who Dares Wins 95 by Cirrhosis loops in 2024, where I'm neither daring nor winning, but remembering my friend and all his lost harmonies. Guitars, lungs, and drums lure me closer to the speaker. In the moment, I hate everything small. When you left, I learned perspective. It hasn't been perfect, but it's been enough that I feel I'm often living a big life on a small scale. That means I've been reading Thoreau, dreaming of Hong Kong, and uh, working on my Nobel Prize in literature while someone's hollering about towels. I shed identity in such moments, stripping naked of roles, titles, small responsibilities, and large expectations. Reassembling myself generally consists of listening to music and discussing with friends their similar relationship with what's happening to us in your absence. My speaker touches between my eyebrows, that funny spot that signals wiggles into my shoulders, feet, and the small of my back. The thoughts I don't want scatter like crows at a shotgun blast. I saw you over the weekend in a promotional copy of Come On, Feel the Lemonheads I got from you. Maybe new music in Evan Dando's voice would insist you back into a moment like a spritz of perfume on a high school girl I had a crush on. 
I'll continue looking for you. I will never find you, but I will always be in your presence because the search will not end. As I look this time of year, Ed Kowalczyk sings to me, which, of course, is really you. You spliced songs from mostly mental jewelry and a little throwing copper onto a cassette for me. I listen to those songs now in the order you recorded them then. I think of you whenever I hear the abbreviation FOMO. When you're interested in who you are and what you're doing, you don't need to worry about missing out on anything. That was you. I sing directly into the speaker in a subterranean Antarctic nightclub, underground at the bottom of the world under all the crush of death ice. There's no hopeful ending, nor one of despair. I don't call this grief or recovery. This is what I do every January. Always will. Like beads on a string, I reassemble your DNA from 16th notes gathered from what beats between my eyes. And so, as I say, this is what we do. We gather together and and we talk about this person that we lost and uh, we get left behind. And uh, I want to get back to the good stuff and talk about some of the things that Joe loved. But before we do that, Jeremy, I'll start with you. Give me a time that you spent with him that is maybe your go-to. Awesome day that you had with him something that really just brings you back to what it was like to be in his presence. Well, first off, the tennis match wasn't McEnroe. It was Yvonne Lendl. I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, McEnroe's probably still playing at that point. Um, <clears throat> this was a legend. He was obviously a legend. Shout out to Yvonne yeah, Lendl. Yvonne Lendl, yeah. Um, I don't know. We spent a ton of time together uh, at the beach chucking tennis balls as hard as we possibly could at each other, trying to get each other to drop them. <laughs> and you were there for a lot of those, I know. Uh, making 20 bucks, helping some guy move his refrigerator, if I remember that time. <laughs> I remember. Uh, just timing so many days. Uh, used to go to York with the Ligoris for like a whole week. Really? Yeah. Stayed, rented a house. Like, they used to rent a house every year. A couple years in a row I went. And it was when uh, Van Halen's album, For Uncarnal Lawful... Yeah, yeah. All it, for unlawful carnal knowledge. Carnal knowledge yeah, yeah. came out, and uh, that was the big, you know, tape we were listening to in our uh, Sony Sports Walkman, laying on the beach at Long Sands in front of the house. Gonna say was it Long Sands just, yeah, or short? Yeah, Long Sands. Long Sands. And we just walked back and forth along the uh, the strip <laughs> there. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were what? We probably were seventh or eighth grade. I, it was probably both summers that we went out there. Um, Went to church with them a lot, obviously, because yep. that was a big part of their life. Um, one of the only two families that took me to church, I think, the Babcocks being the other one. I really? I see with them. No yeah. kidding. My grandparents probably took me too, but my parents went to Catholic school, so they were far, far done with that right. by the time uh, so, we got up here. My old man too. Yeah. Shout out to all the Catholics. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to shout out to Jesus. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's it. Uh, you know, and then we were working together actually when he died. Uh, we were working at Morrison. It was my job that got me into what I do now, uh, for better or worse. Um, so he and I were actually, he was home on break. Yeah. And we were seeing each other every day at work and yeah. hanging out after work. And, you know, so I think that kind of compounded, uh, not that it wouldn't have been tragic, 
anyways, but they really compounded it for me. Well, just being there one day and then nothing. I couldn't agree more, and yeah. I think that that was maybe a different part of the experience for you and I compared to a lot of you were at BU. No, I was home. Oh, you were home. I I quit because of him. I quit BU. Right. Because I my parents sent me there to do engineering, and I didn't want to do engineering. Yeah. And so he was the one. I was thinking about that driving here on on the landline telephone out to Amherst, and he had already told his parents that he was done with UMass. It wasn't a good fit for him, and me having a very different relationship uh, with my parents. Like I can't, I can't tell them. I can't leave BU, and he wore me down all semester long, huh. and that's why we started going to Neco together. January 23rd, 95. Yeah. Um, but, like, that's a big part of what I owe him because, I don't know, without him, I'm pretty sure I hang in there at BU. And that was the wrong answer. And he saw that. And uh, he was the one that could get through to me at the time. But to, to your point, so many of our friends, because this is, a, you know, what, six months after we graduated high school, most of our friends were away somewhere. Yeah. They got to go back to their college life where it hurt. And he was gone, and it was devastating and tragic, but we kept going to the place yeah. that he wasn't at tomorrow and the day after. And I'm not saying that that was harder, but it was a different dynamic to try yeah. to recover from. You know, don't want to take away from all the other people that, yeah, they went oh, back to their school not. somewhere. Yeah. But, uh, again, just a different part of everything. Corey, same question to you in terms of just remembering him. and uh, It was that part that Jeremy talked about him working at Morrison with Jeremy and with everybody we had a, a group of friends that all worked at the same place at the same time and then we all hung out after work and then you know with Joe working there he started hanging out with us more. Yep. and it was that uh, you know that last summer really and uh, after graduation yeah where we spent probably the most time as friends, like, you know, as amount of times hanging out, hanging out, and um, than ever. But I, I didn't have, you know, that history that you guys did growing up in elementary school. You know, it's, you know, I... I We're going to do a big story on Ben here, one of these uh, episodes. Ben, Benjamin... <laughs> Garrett Savage? Yes. <laughs> All right. We're going to go deep into the elementary school and the childhood. Well, if I'm... Ben goes back to... I think I might have been in the house when Ben got back from the hospital after being born. That's how long Ben and I have been Shout out to out. Ben. Also, a very good friend of Joe's. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When I, I won't go use his to... nickname on here because I'm sure he doesn't like it, but with uh, Chris playing in the band with Joe. Yeah. Yes. That's... Benny... You were always there with them. And, yep. you know, and acknowledgement of our audience, I think, very appropriate here. People like Ben uh, Scones reached out to me earlier today. Just, it's a heavy month for him, too. Yep. And uh, let him know that we were going to pod and just appreciation to all the people that, that listen to this. And also, you know, as we as we do these things, I like that you said to, to do one, Corey, about Ben. I, I think thinking smaller and not bigger is the right answer as we really, right. we, we've got so many people to spend a lot of time with in this, this rich area that the three of us are so passionate I could do about. a three-part episode about Tony Pileski. Uh, I'm right there with you. So I'm right there with you. I was talking to him all day yesterday, yeah, too. Yep, yeah, season three. All right. <laughs> uh, 
So, so stay tuned. You don't, you never know when your name is going to come up. These are going to get funnier too. Yes, it's it's kind of cold right now. I'm not going to lie. If you hear all of us sniffling, we're just trying to put out content for you. And Mikey, I'm projecting so that, you know, you can hear me. I like that compliment. It's uh, and maybe something else to pull the, the curtain back for our audience. Uh, we laugh the hardest, like three minutes after we, we stop recording. So we're, we're working on uh, integrating a little bit more of that. But, but bringing it back to Joe, we've got about ten minutes left. In... Can I say something? Yeah, please. Motherfucker. Because you guys both said it last episode, and I've been really good about not swearing. <laughs> so, continue. Yeah, no, I, mar- I mark all these as explicit when I Thank you. I noticed them. that, yeah. but I hadn't had a chance to swear yet. So, <laughs> when I say, can I say something? It was, Please. That's, that's all. All right. So, uh, Corey's use of the word motherfucker was brought to you by our sponsor, uh, but we're still working on one. Yeah. So, we'll get back to that. So, misspoke. We're down to about five minutes. I want to talk about some of the things that, that Joe really loved. And... Before we get to, I think, the number two thing that we need to talk about, uh, which is music, I just wanted to acknowledge his family uh, because he loved his family. I mean, we all loved our families growing up, but there was a different different cohesiveness and connectivity in that family. You know, remembering Jay and Joe as taking care of their little brother and sister who were so small great mom and dad just yeah. an awesome family and he like i said he was passionate about everything and he wore that love of his family on his sleeve and uh and that very much tied to music as as you mentioned jeremy um i wanted to ask a question of of each of you especially you jeremy um forget pearl jim for a moment joe's favorite band go because I think you could ask 50 people this question and, and they're going to have a different one. Oh, wow. The Beatles. Yeah. The I, Beatles. Beatles. That's my memory. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I was caught between the, uh, the Beatles and Kiss. And I know yeah. Kiss is probably Kiss more, is Jay. more Jay. Yeah. And Mr. Ligori. And Mr. Ligori, yeah. Um, it, it was, he was, I mentioned live in the piece. I know that wasn't his number two, but he was listening to a lot of live. Yep. Uh, at that particular stage 29 years ago. Back in the day, Van Halen. Van Halen, yeah. I mean, so much Van Halen. Yep. I, I forgot a little bit. I can I think I'm remembering some Van Halen uh, sweatshirts, maybe? Probably. T-shirts? T-shirts. T-shirts. Skid Row. Skid Row. I can still remember when Slave to the Grind came out, which I was listening to today just because of this. <laughs> Sitting in his room listening to that. <clears throat> just blaring it. Yep. Absolutely blaring it. Yeah, Rocky Raccoon. That's the yep. Rocky Raccoon. That's yeah. that's you know yep. that's the one that sticks out the most for me. I and was, then Pearl Jam. Pearl he had Jam. all the he had all the bootlegs. He sure did. He did. Spent a lot of time at albums. Yep. Combing through those things. Yep. And then ripping them off from them. Yep. I still got so some yeah. of the cassettes at home. Same. Um, yeah, I, play them, but I was them. on my way uh, to work this morning, and I was just listening to Temple of the Dog. Yep. And. Uh, and kind of singing along, thinking of him in the, the passenger seat and, and realizing the only person I've ever sang with in a car is him. Wow. I don't think I've ever sang in a car with anybody else, um, or at least no one, like, no male friend. Shout out to the both of you. Uh, maybe we'll do that after this. But, like, even I'd drive around with my wife. I'd, it would never occur to me to do that. Um, but just, he was so effusive. Oh, yeah. About music that I'm just still a performer. Yeah, yeah. he's a performer. Uh, I know this is an easy one, but you know, 
love of sports in this area growing up. I can't picture the kid without uh, having a bees hat on. Yeah. Um, and yep. I mentioned, or you mentioned rather, I'm glad that you did. Just love of hockey. I remember skating with both of you guys. Yep. Once upon a time. Um, but just other things that he that he really loved. Um, oh, in your verse, the I forgot all about the 3D. You remember that picture? Oh yeah. <laughs> I didn't until, until I read that. I was like, "Oh my god!" Mm-hmm. Like, I completely forgot about that. Yep. I mean, you're right. It was a goalie. It was a goalie, and yeah, that, it's just so much fun to go back and I, you know, forcing myself to, to sit down and not write the same thing every year. And I'm glad you mentioned albums too. Last year when I wrote the piece, uh, it was like w- kind of where I look for him, and just it was kind of this fictional drive through Byfield, Newbury, Newburyport. Flukes, Finds, and Friends on State Street, then? Oh, man. Is that where Albums is? Or used to be? <laughs> well, there's two Albums locations. Oh, true. And You're right. When he, when Joe was around, it was the one further State up. State Street. On State Street, yeah, right. Yeah, Poor Tavern. Poor Tavern, that's yeah. right. And that's the one I think of. I always yeah. forget the one that ended up down yeah. there. Yeah. Deservedly so. Yeah. No, the original location was definitely the better of the two. Yeah. Um, but even to be less than a half an hour into this, talking about church. Yeah. Not, not a lot of kids in high school. Just, yeah, this is my religion. This is who I am, and just everything about it. And I think that that was part of why we could have ten other people here that were remembering him, and that they would know ten other Joes that were just as authentic to who he was, yeah. without anybody manipulating. It was it. authentic. It wasn't. Con- it wasn't even overconfidence. It was just, this is who I am. Yeah. And it was. There was no thoughts otherwise. There was no self-consciousness there. Right. That was just such an unusual thing. You know, or if you mentioned overconfidence, like some of the kids that could maybe project that were because they had a different kind of edge to that. I think that's a result of maybe doing the right thing when you're supposed to do the right thing. Yeah. It's a, <clears throat> it's a character thing. And I had so much fun with him just on the band side of things. Yeah. And, you know, he made that fun because... You think about high school band, that is not something that has a reputation for being super cool. There's some cool guys in there, tried band. Yeah, How did you know sneak them? into the band room for open studies just to listen to Joe play. Yeah. And, like, I'd get kicked out, but, I mean, it was... <laughs> I wasn't good enough to be there for any given reason. Do you guys want to wipe your noses on my sleeve? <laughs> and, on, and on that beautiful note, Corey, of friendship... And self-sacrifice. We are going to sign off for this fourth episode. Uh, We remember our friend Joe Ligori 29 years later, and uh, we're in Byfield, and we're going to sign off for Times Before Can Be Forgotten. I'm Jeremy Sitnik. Corey Thistlewood. And I'm Matthew Connery. We'll see you again next time, and thank you for listening.